it's a, a happy occasion, but it's also a bit of a sad occasion. For the last couple of years, Kate's been coming to this church and we've just been blessed by her. Um, and she's um, moving to Geelong uh, over the next few weeks. She's actually built a unit there. And it's been, I'm amazed at what you've been able to accomplish. Just a faithful, faithful person, just a loving heart. And we just want to pray for her today. There are people that come from Geelong. uh, And so John and Joanna come from Geelong. So you can still come back and visit us, get a lift from them. But uh, you've got a church over there, which is fantastic. And we, we just want to bless you today. And these guys have just really pastored you. I really thank you guys for pastoring Kate. I think they've been absolutely fantastic. So just step, come around her here and and let's pray for her shall we father we thank you for kate we thank you for her heart and we thank you god that lord your hand has been upon her we thank you lord that her heart has been to follow you even lord this move lord i know the discussions that we've had she just wanted to do the right thing by you i thank you god that you've opened a door you've opened up an opportunity lord you've blessed her and as she goes into this new chapter of her life father i just pray that all the desires of her heart lord will come to fruition lord bless her bless her physically and emotionally and spiritually financially lord let her find new friends let her find friends that really love her and nurture her and father let her know that she's got a family right here in melbourne and so father today we release her into this new chapter and we thank you for her in jesus name amen and amen there's a little gift here well actually it ain't little but here it is now i think yeah i think you need to share it with me is that all right i think that's the condition but god bless you you. fantastic give her a big hand and colin and lynn could you just stay up here just for a second Colin and Lynn are our pastoral care coordinators. They are a fantastic couple and got a fantastic family and most of their family come and serve in the church too. I think I saw your kids on the door today. And uh, they're just beautiful, beautiful people. I remember uh, when they first came to our church, I think uh, we were about 30 people at the time and, and I think it was one of the worst meetings we'd had. Everything went wrong. The words didn't come up on screen and... Uh, I won't go into all the other things that went wrong, but uh, I, I thought to myself, we'll never see these people again. And, uh, but you kept coming back, and then I remember having coffee with you, and you guys said, we loved it because we just loved the heart of the church. And so I'm so glad that you, you've come and, and also that you are our pastors here. And so I just want to introduce them to you. Over the last two or three weeks, there's some people that uh, have made this your home, and uh, we would love to pastor you and we would love to help you in settling in uh, this house. And so what we've done is we've got some, um, some information here that we would love to get from you. It's just giving us your name and also if you have children to help us to pastor you. The details you give us are confidential. Um, but it's not about just getting your facts. We want to connect with you and meet with you. And so I just commend these people to you. They might be calling you. They might be uh, just connecting with you just to help you settle uh, in the church. So uh, if you want to do that, they're going to meet you. At the information desk in the foyer, we haven't got that named yet, but next, I think next week we're going to put, I think, Dan, we've got the thing happening there with the signage. Um, but you'll see the booth just out there uh, in the foyer, and they'll meet you there. And if you feel that this is the place that God wants you to be uh, grounded in, if this is the house God's brought you in, please fill in the details, and we'd love to pass to you. Thanks, you guys. Thanks. God bless you. Give them another big hand. That's fantastic. 
In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be having our community day. Our community day is going to be a little bit of a different service where we've invited um, all the uh, people that have helped build this building, Corplex particularly, Bernie's team, and a few other people that have helped us in getting where we are today. Uh, We've also invited the Quest Department people, Mark O'Shea with his wife. Uh, They are looking to partner with us to use um, our facility for conferences. And, you know, it is an incredible opportunity to not just help serve the community, but God has given us this incredible opportunity to uh, host conferences here and things like that. And the finances that come through those ventures are going to be able to to finance most probably the running of this building. My dream as a pastor would be that all the tithes and the offerings just went to ministry. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I believe that's God's ordained pattern, that the money that are given by the people that are believers, the people that are disciples, goes towards ministry and expanding and building what God wants to do. And I believe that God has given us an opportunity. Buildings like this cost money. And, uh, you know, just to run the power and things like that. And I believe that God is going to supply for us. He's going to bring increase so that the people that come in here to do conferences and things like that, God, through that means, will give us provision to pay for all the overheads. Uh, Isn't that fantastic? And it is a thing from God that we haven't gone looking for, but we have been approached in. And, And I'm very, very excited about that. And I'm particularly excited about not just this building, but our warehouse and um, you know that really excites me and I was speaking to uh, one of our young men last night and I won't divulge his name yet because I believe he's on a process of what God's speaking to him about but you know that building we bought it because we want to have a community center where maybe people that would never go to church would go there and, and how many of you know that God wants to build a bridge to people that don't know him and so that whole center uh, we believe is being set up so that we can see people that maybe will not step into church but need a bridge, need a connection, need somebody to connect with them so that they can make the transition to knowing Jesus Christ. And so I'm very excited about that. Now that building needs some development. We most probably need to spend $150,000 to get that building up. I, I mentioned that to one of our guys in the church, and I'm not going to mention their name today, and I just mentioned some vision. I didn't really go into details. I, I, I didn't go over the top, and this morning that particular person handed me an envelope with, he said, this is the first fruit towards us getting that building going and gave me a check for $2,000, and I think that's absolutely amazing, and God knows who that person is. Well, I didn't have to mention names because it's not about that. But I, I thank God for that, that, you know what, God builds his house, God builds the vision. All we have to do is be obedient and follow him. So why don't we give God a big hand of praise today. So when we have our Vision Sunday in two weeks' time, can I, can I just say to you, some people, you know, just, just have got different ideas and perspectives about church. Some people have been hurt by church. Some people have got weird concepts about church. But in two weeks' time, on March the 6th, this, this meeting will help people that maybe, you know, you want to introduce to church. So can you be the invitation? 
Uh, we haven't got any, any uh, brochures out or pamphlets out. But, you know, the best way to invite people is personally. And, uh, you know, we might get something out, a leaflet next week, just for, from, so people can, you know, be given something. But can I say this? It, it is actually a, 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 a statistic that people actually come when they're invited personally. Become an inviter. Become a bringer. And bring people to uh, the connection with Christ. Some people need time to journey that. Not everybody that comes to church makes a decision for Jesus Christ like that. Some people do, some people don't. But you know what? People need to connect. People today need to have a connection point. Let's use this opportunity to have that connection. It's a lot of announcements. Let me take a breath. Okay, this morning I want to share a foundational truth with you as a church. Um, Our theme for 2016 is possessing his promises. Every year for the last three years, God has given me a theme as a senior pastor. I've made that declaration. We've prayed and and, uh, last year's theme was abundant overflow. We saw God abundantly do things that we we hadn't even dreamed of. I could tell you stories that the fact that we are in here today is, is the reality of God's abundant overflow. We just didn't receive overflow, we received an abundant overflow. And in September last year, I really felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, do you know, uh, this, this year's theme is possessing his promises. How many of you are believing for things that haven't quite come to fruition yet? How many of you know that God's got promises for your life? And it could be, do you know, one of your children coming back to God. It could be a financial thing. It could be a business venture. It could be a ministry thing. But do you know, God is a faithful God and he wants to fulfill his promises. You know, one of the things that is really important to me is that we don't just motivate the church, but the church matures. You know, we could get up here and give motivational speeches and things like that, but how many of you know God's got a purpose and a plan for your life and he wants the church to mature? Uh, Those of you that maybe have just joined us over the last six months or a year, you know, I've done a teaching and I do this all over the world when I do conferences about the maturing of the church. I say there's three stages of church maturity or church development. The first stage being what we call the deliverance stage. It's a stage, thank you, John, it's always the catering team that thinks of me. Thank you so much, guys. Did you initiate that, Julie? Thank you. Your husband would not have thought of that, but you have got the heart. I could tell. He's just, what, what, what? Awesome. So, you know, the, the church has three stages of maturity. The deliverance stage is, is typified by the Moses, you know, uh, Moses-type leadership. Moses was just a deliverer. He took the people out of Egypt, but he couldn't get him into promise. Uh, Joshua, who took over from Moses, he was the promise maker. He was, the able to, he was able to take the people into promise. And, you know, the, the, the sad thing is that the thing that he didn't do was raise up the next generation. Can I say this to you? It is absolutely imperative. You know, there's five generations on the earth, it's imperative that we keep raising up the generations. You know, right now, there's, there's a generation right there in Sunday school, they're not being babysat. You might think that as a parent, but let me tell you, they are being trained, they are the generation that we must invest in for the future. That's why their facilities are just as good as ours. And and we must keep investing in them, because if we don't, let me tell you, it just takes 10 years to lose a generation. 
And, you know, that's, that's what Joshua failed to do. He got them into promise, but he wasn't able to raise up the next generation. But, you know, the person who really established the kingdom was David. And God wants to establish his kingdom here on earth. And so if you were saying to me as a pastor, how are you tracking your church? Where do you think our church is at? Well, I think our church is just coming out of the deliverance stage. I think our church, in the way of maturity and growth and development, still has... A long way to go, even though God has done some great things. Don't be fooled by the building. Let me tell you, we've got a long way to go. But let me also say this, it's going to be a great journey. It's going to be a great adventure. And I believe this year, God's challenge to us is that we all keep maturing and growing because if we mature and grow, then God can mobilize us into the harvest. Let me tell you what this is about. Church is not just about us coming here and having good social networks and good social you know, gatherings. Church is about developing and maturing, becoming disciples so that we can reach the lost and see them saved in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you give me an amen for that? That's what we're here for and that's what we need to do. So in saying that, You know, it's really important that we have our foundations right. And this morning, I want to give you, I want to talk about a foundational truth that I've battled with with a lot of my life. I'm going to be very open with you today because I think that this this foundational truth is is something we all need to know and understand. And so I do really pray that it will bless you. Do you know, the, the greatest weapon that the enemy uses... To stop you from possessing the promises of God is fear. It is one of the greatest weapons that he uses. Not only does he use it strategically, but it's a very, very powerful weapon. And many times he uses it very, very subtly. You know, fear is hard to get your head around because it manifests itself and it masks itself in so many different ways. Worry. Who's a bit of a worrier? Doubt, anxiety, despair, panic, lack of confidence, depression, agitation, suspicion, insecurities are all manifestations of fear. Sometimes the root issue that we're dealing with, sometimes we're, you know, we're worrying or we're doubtful or we're, we have lack of confidence and really what it is, is a manifestation of fear but it's so subtle we can't put our finger on it. Sometimes when I get agitated or I start getting worried, the the root cause of it's fear and I have to go back and address that issue in my life. Now fear is a very, very powerful weapon. It is not just an emotion. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, Timothy is a young man who's pastoring this big church and he's got the call of God on his life, but he has got major, major anxiety and worry and he's got people management issues and he's, you know, he's most probably trying to keep everybody happy and trying to work through the processes of vision and development and he is struggling with fear and his spiritual father, Paul, writes to him in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 and says this, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, friends, let me tell you, fear is not just an emotion, it is a spirit. And those of you that have ever been overcome by fear, I don't know if you've ever been overcome by fear. 
Um, I have many, many times. It's one of the weapons that the enemy has tried to use against myself personally. And, um, you know, it's like someone puts a wet blanket over you and you totally lose perspective of what life is about. You know, here it says this. It says that that the spirit of fear, it, it makes you feel powerless. How many of you have ever felt powerless? It makes you feel loveless, and when you feel the unloved, you've, all the insecurities in your life come up. It makes you feel like you're losing your mind, like you have confusion, and you don't have peace. And, you know, I remember when um, we were building this building, uh, we, were, we were six months in. Um, you know, we were just about to sign the contract. We had spent, you know, literally a couple of hundred thousand dollars doing plans, getting things ready. I'm ready to go, you know, and, and all things are happening. And, and all of a sudden, I got the phone call from the builder and said, could you come in for an urgent meeting because, uh, you know, we, we need to discuss some things. And I realized something was up. I didn't know what was up till I got to the meeting. When I got to the meeting, he said to me, listen, we, we have somehow... Uh, made a, a, a mistake, an oversight, but this land that we're about to build your building on has got a covenant on it. And that means, and that covenant restricts from you building a church there. L- let me tell you what happened to me. Not only did I feel fear in its full emotion, I felt a spirit just come over me. And all of a sudden, all the worry and the anxiety, and I thought to myself, we are taking this church. I've been telling everybody, hey, we're just about to sign a contract. God's got everything ready to go. And all of a sudden, I'm attacked by this reality that, you know what, this might not happen. For a week, it was like this wet blanket on me. I could not go forward. And then one day, the Holy Spirit reminded me, and he said, Uh, You know, he reminded me about what he had spoken into my heart when I was in the Dagani's cafe and he said to me, Nick, this is the land that I'm going to give you, that I'm going to give you a church and this is where I want you to build the building. And I remembered that word and I used that word against the spirit of fear and thank God that today we're in this place because I was able to rise above the fear. But let me tell you, friends, fear is a very, very powerful thing. It will stop you from accessing the the presence and the purpose of God. Now, there's external fear that we read in the Bible, uh, that we we see stories in the Bible that help us to comprehend how circumstances, how the devil uses circumstances to control us and to stop us from entering in. In Numbers 13, verse 32, you know the story. The children of Israel, can you believe it? 400 years in a a wilderness, and, and God delivers them. And they are literally at the footstep of their promise. I think it's about 15 miles from out of accessing their promise. And Moses sends 12 spies in, um, but 10 of them come back with a negative report and say, listen, it's true. The land is full of milk and honey. It's true. Man, we've brought back some of the vegetation. It's true. It is a promise that God's given us. But guess what? There's giants in the land, and we do not have the strength to overcome them. And because of fear, that decision, because they succumbed to fear for 40 years, they went round the wilderness. They lost a whole generation. How many times does that happen to us? We see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the same thing happened. Uh, this, this time, it was through David and Goliath. You know the story in 1 Samuel, it's about David and Goliath. But before David came onto the scene, there was this giant called Goliath who stood on, on the hilltop. And you know, see, the Philistines were strategic enemies. 
They, they, would, they would win a battle before they would even pull the sword out of their scabbard because they knew that, you know what, intimidation was a great weapon. And so what did the giant do? He would stand on a hill to make them see how big he was and they strategically put an armour bearer next to him to say, look how big I am. And the children of Israel began to fear and run back and they did this for 40 days and then David rolls up who was not intimidated by a spirit of fear and he came up because he said, listen, I'm not going to succumb myself to that spirit but I live under the spirit of God and he was able to have the victory. If that hadn't happened, who knows the incredible bondage that the the Israelites would have gone under. But this morning, I want to talk about a fear that's more subtle than the external fear. I want to talk about an internal fear because I think that we in this room, if we're all honest, struggle with this fear more than the external. I'm just going to have a drink. Thank you, Julie. We are going to get a table up here soon, I think. Internal fear. This morning I want to talk about insecurities. How many of you have insecurities? Put your hand up if you've got insecurities. Put them up high. Everybody look around. We've all got them. Now this week, over the last two weeks, I've had some discussion with about four or five people and the subject of insecurity has come up. And so today I am not speaking on this subject to have a go at anybody or prove a point, but I believe that if we don't get this foundationally right, we will stop the access of going into the promises of God. In the Bible tells us that there were men that weren't just intimidated by external pressures and external fears, but rather with internal fears, insecurities. Moses was a classic in Exodus chapter 3. God calls him and says, Moses, I want you to deliver people for me. Moses finds every excuse under the sun. God, I can't speak. God, you know, look, I'm not your person. God, I don't, I'm, I don't know who I am and I'm not really sure who you are. So please don't send me. You know, the Bible says that God actually, you know, got angry at him because he wouldn't rise up and believe and trust who God had purposed in his life and made him. And so what happened is God has to give him a, a man called Aaron, his brother-in-law, to actually become his voice piece. And all of a sudden, we see a codependent relationship. Friends, let me tell you that when there's insecurities, we begin to uh, make all sorts of wrong decisions. And this codependent relationship that he had with Aaron, somewhere down the track, the relationship went wrong. Gideon was another one in Judges chapter 6. He was a very, very insecure person. When God called him, he said, God, you've got to be joking. You can't use me. I'm the least of the least of the least of the least. Who's ever felt like that? And God says to him, no, you're my man. Can I say this, that God uh, really is not concerned about where you're at, what your personality's like, uh, whether you've got an outgoing personality or not. He wants you to trust him. And when he speaks to you, he wants you to rise through that. Jeremiah is known as the reluctant prophet. Um, you're looking at a person today that I would say, I was a reluctant leader. God has strategically put in my, in my path things that have happened that have caused me to rise. But really, the platform is not where I feel comfortable. It's taken me years and years to overcome those fears and insecurities. Peter 
was another man who was an insecure man, but he demonstrated his insecurity in a different way. He was a loudmouth. Jesus, uh, I'm your man. I'll I'll never deny you. I'll never forsake you or deny you. Jesus, let me walk on the water. Do you know, sometimes you see powerful personalities and, uh, you know, they, are, they literally use their personality to cover up their insecurity. So, you know, there's two extremes of insecurity. The first one is you get the timid, meek, not me, I'm not your person. And then you get these other people on this extreme that they're the loud mouths and they're the ones that they'll jump into everything, uh, but they're still covering up a deep, deep-rooted fear. So about 20 years ago, God began to deal with my personal insecurities. This morning I want to be open with you because I don't want to build a church and leaders that are dominated by fear, whether it's external or internal. When I was 36 years old, Uh, God began to deal with some very, very deep issues in my life. And I'll I'll let you know the journey as I go along. But one of the things that happened to me, I was actually uh, a youth pastor. I was doing what Charles, well, he's not the youth pastor anymore. He's the assistant pastor now. But, you know, when I was a youth pastor in Geelong, um, Gary Ablett, the footballer, uh, this Gary Ablett Sr., the footballer, was actually in our church for about a year. Gary found it very, very hard to settle in a church because people would just gravitate to him because of his gift, because he was a great footballer. And we used him. I was the Youth Alive director, and he was very gracious to, um, to come and um, do some Youth Alive announcements for us on radio. It was amazing. I'd walk down the street with him, and literally cars would stop, people would stop, and they'd wind down their window and and yell out, Gary, Gary. And I tell you, I felt 10 feet tall. I thought, you know what I mean? And I thought, look at them, they're stopping for me too. You know what I mean? But I needed Gary as my security blanket. You know what I mean? And and we went into the studio, and man, all the reporters there would go, hey, Gary, can we just just five minutes, can we get you, just get get you in to do an interview? It was amazing, the pressure that was on him. And in this particular day, we're in the bookshop, and Gary... um, you know, he's in the bookshop, and I go past, and I said, oh, what are you looking at? He goes, oh, I'm looking at this book, which is really helping me trying to work out some of the fears in my life. It was a book called Search for Significance by Robert S. McGee. I don't know if you've ever read it, Uh, but it's also, it's not just a book you can read, it's also, there's a course, and I'd love to do this course in our church, because it addresses some fundamental issues uh, in us as people, uh, as we try and work through who actually we are. In this book, it actually addressed, and I got very interested when Gary told me that, and he said to me, you know, I'm working through all these fears. You know, the thing is, Nick, people want me, and they like me because of my sport, but they don't know the inner demons that I struggle with, and, I, and my ears pricked up. He said, you know, and I opened up the book, and, in the, and it's got chapters like the performance trap, the approval trap. The positional trap. I've added one myself, the personality trap. And this book began to address where our value and our identity comes from. My ears so pricked up because I, man, I, I needed help. He was, he was, it's like it was a God moment. How many of you ever had God moments where you just, you know, you're just sort of cruising along and all of a sudden something happens that pricks your attention, grabs a hold of your heart. 
So I grabbed this book and I began to read it. And I'll just give you three quotes out of this book very quickly. Number one, uh, the author uh, just says this. He says this. Robert S. McGee says this. We have a choice in our response to failure. We can either condemn or we can learn. And you know what? When I do something wrong, when I used to do something wrong, I used to just condemn myself. I used to come under all this pressure and think, you idiot. Some of the things, you know, you talk about words damage. And, you know, it's hurtful when, when people damage. But, you know, you can damage yourself just by your thoughts and the words you say. And I remember saying to myself, you idiot. Every t- I, I would, when, if I failed, I would go through trauma. I didn't realize that actually failure is part of learning life. Here's another quote. What a waste to attempt to change behavior without truly understanding the driving needs that cause such behavior. And many times we put band-aids on the behavior because we never really address the root system you know, behind that. And our behavior can become destructive, hurtful, manipulative and controlling if it's not addressed. Here's another great quote out of the book. In today's society, we've lost the concept of doing what's right because it's the right thing to do. Instead, we do things to gain recognition, reward or acceptance, and many times to avoid punishment. Boy, do I know that. My, I had learnt to perform. I went through all these traps. And they, they literally were the props that held me up. See, insecurities create unhealthy relationships. Insecurities create codependencies, and I was a very codependent person, and I'll explain that in a minute. Either you become codependent or you become independent. They're the two extremes, and yet they still have the same root cause. They destroy families, they destroy marriages. They destroy businesses. I have spoken to so many business people that have these sort of traits in their business management. They've got an insecure leader, an insecure business person, and they literally manipulate situations and people cannot work in those environments. But here's the sad part. Insecurities can also work in churches. Can I say this? I want our church, our teams, our relationships the foundation of who we are to build, be built on Jesus Christ. That's my heart. That's my goal. So I want to talk to you about my insecurities. How many of you want to be, hear about my insecurities? Put your hand up high if you do. How many of you can see that I haven't got any? Thank you, Julie. My biggest insecurities, the traps I fell into, was the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. Now, I don't know about you, but failure does not bring you many friends. Actually, when you fail, there's a harshness in our society. Do you know, sometimes you see these poor sportsmen, you know what I mean? They, they have to try and hold themselves to the top. The pressure to succeed is massive. And that doesn't just stop on the sports field. There's people that are carrying incredible pressure because their identity is based on their success. The fear of rejection, I, I, I'm an only child. I... One of the greatest fears I had was to be abandoned or rejected. You know, one of the fears I had at school was, do you know when they used to play those games, let's pick teams? 
They get two captains and then they line you up. And I was praying, dear Jesus, please don't let me be the last person. And how many of you can relate to that? (laughs) Don't let me be the last person. And, you know, you, you were just, I was praying, God, don't let me be the last person. And, and then when I'd finally get my name picked, I'd sort of go, huh. and I'd watch as people were going into their teams and you'd watch the last person and most probably the, and particularly for sport, you know, he was most probably the nerd, the most intelligent person in the class. But in this area here, he was a reject. I hated it. But my insecurities came Sometimes they're built because of your environment. My home environment wasn't that flash. Let me just say this. My parents loved me. My mother's 81 years old. Uh, you know, I am the, the apple of her eye. Every time she sees me, uh, you know, she comes running out the door, literally. Um, and she just, you know, she just wraps her arms around me, still kisses me, still pinches my cheeks. Uh, sometimes says that I'm losing weight. It's not good. She wants to fatten me up. So I've had a loving environment, but they weren't able to display some of the things that I really, really needed. And some of you maybe have got a hard story about your background. But I grew up in an environment, I was an only child, which didn't help too much because I didn't know how to connect. I was very, very shy. My mum got saved when I was five years old. Uh, She went to this uh, Pentecostal church. She got dramatically saved. My mother's side of the family uh, came out of witchcraft. They were spiritually in darkness. And I don't know if you believe in demonic forces and witchcraft, but let me tell you that it's real. Today, the manifestation of witchcraft is a little bit different. Today, we, we, there's more new age philosophies and things like that. But l- let me tell you, she came out of a really dark area. When she got saved... Um, Something dramatic happened in her life. So much so she started dragging me to church. I was five years old. But she gravitated to the legalism or the law of the word. Because she'd had no boundaries in her life, what appealed to her were boundaries. And not that that was wrong because she needed some boundaries, some emotional boundaries and things like that. Um, But what happened is, is because she gravitated to the legalistic side of the gospel or or the law side of the gospel, she didn't really get, understand grace. So everything started becoming a law. Now, she started making up laws that weren't even in the Bible. And I didn't need those laws. I mean, one of the laws she made is that going to restaurants is from the devil. Going to a pizza hut was from the devil. I mean, I'm Italian. I want to go out. I want to eat pizza. No, it's from the devil. Now, I think it was. I think she made that up because she thought she was the best cook in the world. And let me say this. She ain't far off it. She's an amazing cook. But she created another law she made that was sport was from the devil. And here's the problem. I played football. So she refused to wash my shorts and my socks. Now, my father, who wasn't a Christian was watching all this and going, if this is God, you're mad. And so my father and her would have an argument over washing my shorts. And so I'm sort of confused. I'm a young kid trying to work all this out, trying to work church out. And my father, he was more of a fun-loving guy, but he was concerned about reputation. So my father wanted me to have a good position in life. 
When I went into the ministry, I was 21 years old, I went into youth ministry. One day I was helping dad, he, as Italians do, they always make concrete. You know, we came, we saw, we came, we saw, we concreted. You know what I mean? That's just the way it is. Isn't that right, Charles? Right? We came, we saw, we concreted. So dad was always concreting something, do you know what I mean? And so he brought his mate over who had a mate, you know, he had a son and my dad was thrilled because his mate's son was there and we were both, I was helping the, the son and, and, and the, the son says to me, so what's it like working in a bank? Now I was working, I was a minister and a youth minister and I, and I thought, I said, who told you I work in a bank? He said, oh, your dad did. And to not embarrass my father, I said, well, you know, that's what it's like. So I lived in this world where I had to duck and weave to get approval. I had to sort of duck my mother's legalistic side of her. You know, and, and let me say this, she's 81 now, and thank God she's learnt the grace of God. Maybe it just comes with age. She's realised, you know, you've got to have some grace. But I had to duck and weave. So I learned how to perform. I learned in this relationship... Where I had to duck, where I had to weave. Because, you see, I hated conflict. I didn't understand how to work through those dynamics. And it was very, very difficult. Then, I find Meredith. Now, the things that I'm about to say this morning, my wife is in Sunday school at the moment. She loves the kids and she's, she's on the roster with kids. Every time I say something about my wife, she ends up finding out after the meeting. <laughs> now, I do know who is telling her. So if she comes up to me after the meeting and says, Oh, I heard you said this, this and that, I will be having a talk with you <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to leave the church, all right? Because we're not going to do this. So in, in enters Meredith, who comes from a total different world. Her world is secure. Her parents show unconditional love. There's no games. She thinks she's the best thing since sliced bread. Her confidence is through the roof. I'm this little meek guy who God's calling and I'm, I can't, I'm not even sure who I am. I'm a little bit like Moses. I'm this reluctant person. There's a call of God in my life. Let me just say this, that God's call is not limited to your personality. God's call is not limited to your past. God's call is not limited to your lack of understanding of who he is. I had to work through that. So in comes in Meredith, all bright, and she can, she's going to take on the world and change the world. She can sing, she can write books, she can dance, she can cook, but she can't shop. <laughs> she just can't shop. Actually, she's hopeless at shopping. I just want to let you know she's not good at it at all I still buy her clothes and I do a fantastic job of that <laughs> gentlemen I can help you Geordie when you find your princess I'll take you shopping in comes in Meredith now I had learnt to keep the peace to lie it's all right. I'm saved by grace. And don't look at me with all your saintly eyes because you've got your own issues. So I'd learnt to lie, to keep the peace. 
it's not that I wanted to, but you don't understand the, the emotional turmoil that would happen if I didn't say white lies. So my mother was against going to restaurants. Now we're at this place where I'm about to propose. Meredith knows that we're going on this. I've booked the restaurant. I've got the ring. It's a special night on my calendar. Meredith knows we're going to a restaurant. We're inside the house and I say to my mother, my mum goes, where are you two going tonight? You all dressed up. I said, we're going to a birthday. Because birthdays were okay, according to my mother. We're going to a birthday. We get in the car and, my, and Meredith says to me, she goes, what did you tell your mother? I said, well, you know, I told her we're going to a birthday. I said, you know what mum's like? If I mention a restaurant, World War Three will come. She turns around and says to me, unless you go inside and tell your mother the truth, we are not going to this restaurant. (laughs) Now I'm between a rock and a hard place. (laughs) Julie, that's another thing that I'm going to teach you when you you find you're the right person. And I said to her, you don't understand. If I go inside and tell mum that we're going to a restaurant, you have not seen the emotional turmoil and the guilt and the, and the stuff she'll put on me. And I said, I can't go through that. And she says, well, if you can't go through that now, if you lie now, you, if you're going to lie to your mother, you're going to lie to me. She's a tough woman. <laughs> so I tried to say to her, but I've got the ring the restaurant's menu is unbelievable. I tried everything to manipulate and to try and manoeuvre her. Not going. She was, she's out of the car. I'm out. And guess what happened? So I went into my mother. I put on my armour, my helmet, <laughs> breastplate. <laughs> and I said, Mum, actually we're not going to birthday. I... I, I misguided you. (laughs) I misguided you. Um, I'm actually taking Meredith out to a restaurant. She goes, care? Which means what? I said, I said a restaurant. Well, World War III did break. But something got released. Because I had to face fear that was in my life. Then my school days weren't that much better. I went to a, back in the 1970s, if you were Italian, you're not really well liked. My greatest fear at going to school was lunchtime. Because lunchtime, all the Aussie kids, and I wasn't Aussie, I was born in Australia, but, you know, I had Italian parents. They had all come out with their nicely cut tip-top bread like little light Vegemite sandwiches. Not this little ducky. No, my mother had made me the continental thick bread with the mortadella and the salami and with the tomato freshly out of my father's garden that was cut in the morning. My father goes, this, not buying shop, this here from the gardens. No Australian boy has this here. And there I was, you know, everybody would have the nice wrapped, glad wrap. No, my, my lunch was wrapped in, in jolly newspaper. 
And like here, I was fearful. You know, and we used to have to sit in these long rows and we'd be unpacking our lunch. And as soon as mine would come out, everybody would start making fun of us. So you know what I did for two years? Can you believe what fear and insecurity does just to get acceptance? You know what I did for two years? I bought chocolate donuts, two chocolate donuts every day for two years. Great diet. Until one day I'm putting one of these chocolate donuts in my mouth and just the thought, I just wanted to vomit. And I have not eaten a chocolate donut since. But then it got worse because, you see, fear is a funny thing and insecurity is a funny thing because you try and find platforms to get acceptance and to try and get, you know, so you don't fail. So I started playing the guitar, and this is a long story short, but I got in a band, and the band was called Nicky and the Boys. What a great band. You know, I'd like to, you know, bring revival to it one day. Maybe we can, you know, and, and I was the leader of the band, and my youth pastor came round one day and cut a long story short, and he heard me, you know, sing and write some songs. So he got me on a platform at youth, didn't he? And I was so fearful, but it went really well. And I found that, you know, when I was on that platform, people were funny. They started seeing you from a different perspective. I hadn't changed, but because I got on a platform, all of a sudden I became like a bit of a novelty. And the band did really, really well, and I ended up preaching out of it. And I started realizing that, you know what, it's funny the sort of platforms we get on or the things that we do to try and get acceptance. I didn't realize that that was feeding a deeper need in my life that I had not addressed. And then, you know, through time, and I'm just cutting a long story short, I got onto this, this ministry team that was incredible. Most probably one of the most unique and best ministry teams that I've ever been on. This team had the, the Ephesians 4.11 gifts working, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Uh, you know, my gifting was more prophetic and I was accepted in that role. And, and you've never met a bunch of people that were so gifted and talented in your life. I mean, these people were unbelievable. The problem is, is that the gifting was great, but the culture that was being created was, 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 was actually toxic. Because the guys on the team were great at ministry, but didn't know how to do life. Did you know Jesus didn't actually say to us, I've come to give you ministry and ministry in its abundance? He actually said, I've come to give you life and life in its abundance. Ministry must come out of your life. It must come out of the deep things that God has done in your life. And so what happened is there started to be a competitive, a comparing, a striving nature. So much so that about 10 years later it imploded. Great, great men and women of God. But let me just say this, God is faithful. 36 years old, one of my mentors, one of the people that were training me, pulls me aside and I was trying to get affirmation from him. You know, he was, I wanted him to develop my gift, he wanted to develop my character. I was asking him about my gift, he was concerned about my character. So I asked him one day, how am I going? I wanted to know how I was prophesying. Was I being effective? And, you know, I must have pushed the button because he said to me, he goes, you're doing well. And because I wanted more affirmation, because the need to feel affirmed, particularly by a father figure, by a spiritual father, was so deep in my life that I just kept pushing him. And he said, you really want to know how you're going? And I knew I'd pushed the button. 
He said to me, you know, in your gifting, you're most probably mature and way above where you should be. He said, but as a person in your emotional life, sometimes you act like a 15-year-old, your poor wife. Now, if that gets back to me today, we're in big trouble. (laughs) And even though I hated hearing what he said, it triggered something in my heart. I realised that I had created codependent relationships. I'd learnt the crutches. I'd learnt how to duck and weave. I used to always want to please people. I, always, I hated saying no to anybody. People, I'd put myself under so much pressure to keep people happy. It wasn't funny. I'd learnt how to perform. I'd learnt how to have positions to position myself. And I hated confrontation. And all I did prophetically was affirm and encourage. But prophetic ministries are not just about that. They are about confrontation also. And the stress and pressure that I put myself under was unbelievable. People think that God is a crutch. That is not my experience. God kicks the crutches out from under you. My experience is that if you've got a crutch, of, if it's a person, if it's a ministry, if it's your business, if it's your finances, he will kick every single crutch from under you until you learn to stand on him and him alone. God has this incredible ability to offend the mind, to find out and reveal the state of your heart. Boy, he's good at that. He is so good at that. Last week, and I know this person won't mind me saying this, I forgot to mention, I thought one department in our church, I forgot five. Can you believe that? To thank them and to bring them out to dedicate them. And, you know, I... One of the departments was right on my notes. I don't know how the heck I overlooked them. And when, I, when the service finished, someone from that a particular department came up to me and said, did you know that you missed this department? I said, no, I didn't. I just got it in my notes. I said, no, no, you didn't. I said, no, I didn't. So I showed him my notes and said, no, you forgot. I went up to this person and I, I, can I say this? I'm looking at you right now. It was actually the catering department. I forgot the media department. I forgot the PA department. I forgot the seniors. And if I forgot you, I'm sorry. And you know what happened? I went up to to Julie. I said, Jules, I'm really sorry that I forgot you. And, you know, she looked at me and she said, you know, I've got to be honest with you. She said, I was a bit disappointed and some of my team have come up to me and said, hey, how, how, how's that affecting you? And she said, but can I be honest with you, Nick? Six months ago, that would have so affected me. But she, you know, you know what? This is not about me and it's not about my department. It's about God. And I thought to myself, Julie, you have just grown and become the person that God wants you to be. Would you give her a big hand today and thank her? So did I do it on purpose? No. It's actually one of my favourite departments because it feeds me. (laughs) 
of every department that's not who you want to forget. But the key is this, guys. If we're going to have a healthy church that's going to reach the lost, if we don't deal with these deep, deep issues of our own lives, then the ministry will give to the community will be polluted because it'll have some of God and most of us. And God wants us to minister with pure hearts and minister Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and he is the Saviour. And I thank God for the grace that God has given us. And let me say this, I'm not going to lead that way. I will make mistakes. How many of you know that I'm human? Put your hand up if you know that I'm human. How many of you know that I make mistakes? We don't have to put so many hands up, okay. I'm going to make mistakes, and so are you. But that's not what this is about. This is about living under the grace of God and acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, and the reason we do what we do is because we want to honour him and respect him. Dan, could you just come up on piano very quickly? Come on, give God a hand of praise for that. And you know what? I've learned to say no. I've learned to say no. Sometimes people come up to me and they go, hey, can we say no? Because I, I have to be the visionary leader and my heart is for the whole church. And sometimes there's things that are happening that I have to have incredible wisdom and got to get God's timing. That building there is about God's timing. People have come up to me and said, Pastor, will you do this? Are you going to do this? I've just said, no. We're not ready yet. I don't want to build a church that's based on just personalities. Does God use your personality? Absolutely. I'm glad for the different personalities. Does God use process and structure? Absolutely. Does God want us to have a spirit of excellence? Yes. What does that mean? It means this. It means that you do your best. You don't have to be the best. I'm not the best preacher in this church and most probably won't be. But I'm the God-ordained person that God's put here. You might not like that. Well, build a bridge and walk over it. And I'll meet you on the other side. Here's some things very quickly. Build your foundation and security on God, not on what you do. You are not a human doing, you are a human being. Don't ever forget that. If God, you know, it's great to have a desire to ministry. It really is. And you should have a passion to serve God. But make sure that your ministry is to fulfill God's purpose and not meet a deep need in your life. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when Jesus was 30 and he got baptized in water by John, his father's voice came from heaven. It says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Did you know Jesus had not even done a miracle? So his identity was not based out of his miracles and his performance. His identity was based on the relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. Friends, let me tell you this. If your identity and your value is based on anything else bar from that, you will constantly, constantly be striving and struggling in your life. It's a black hole that will never, ever be fulfilled. And if you think that getting on a platform is going to fulfill those needs, you've got another thing coming. I've struggled to be on here. 
God's had to keep me up here, believe you me. I don't get caught up in all those things because I've been through it. Are there still some insecurities? Yes. Am I a work in progress? Yes, so are you. Here's the second thing. God's love and faithfulness is everlasting and it's unchanging. God's love for you doesn't change whether you behave good or bad. Do you know how much I had to learn that? Because my mother, bless her heart, she had taught me that if I behaved bad, that was it. She She wouldn't discipline me, she would punish me. And there's a huge difference. Don't punish your children, discipline them. Don't teach them that they behave badly, that you are going to withdraw your love. I know what that's like. Don't do that. Don't do that to one another. Don't withdraw your love from somebody who maybe you're pastoring or caring for just because they misbehave. But always keep your heart open and leave the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 says, I pray that you, listen to this, being rooted and grounded and established in Nick Resky's love, in Uni Hill's vision, no, it says in God's love may have the power together with all saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you and to know that his love surpasses his knowledge so that you can be filled with the full measure of who God is. Once you find out that, you will find out your value. Here's the third thing. Be happy with you. Are you happy with yourself? Are you content with yourself? Number one, love yourself. Do you know the Bible says this in Matthew 22 verse 39? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. You can only love people to the level you love yourself. If you're broken and you hate yourself, you are going to project that on every relationship you have. Love yourself. I look in the mirror these days and goes, you are such a great person. When was the last time you got into the mirror and thought, you know what, I am such a great person. Be happy with you. Okay, you're losing your hair. You know, I said to my wife, you know, why did you marry me? Was it for my looks? You know where this is going, people, don't you? Was it for my looks? Was it for my talent? She goes, no, I came from the country and I didn't have much to choose from, so you're the first guy who asked. It's great for your self-worth, isn't it? Even your spouse can't fulfill the longing need you have in your heart. Love yourself. Number two, have a sober judgment about yourself. Look, you've got limitations. Do you know, I was asked to go on the Steve Visard show to speak on witchcraft. They chose me and Mal Fletcher. They appealed to my insecurities. They were very cunning. They appealed to my insecurities and they appealed to my ego. So this bunny went. I was petrified because the media just blows things out of proportion. And you know what? And here's Mal Fletcher, who was the intelligent one, who was the person who was articulate particularly behind camera, but because of my ego and insecurity, no, they appealed to it, and so I pushed myself forward. Thank God for the grace of God that saved me in this situation, but I learned this. I'm not very good in front of cameras. It's not just because of my looks. Have a sober judgment of yourself. There's some things that people are better at. Charles has got way more passion than I have. He, he, you know, when he speaks, he's got great passion. 
Charles does things way better than her. My wife is a very talented girl. She's amazing. Champion those things in other people and rejoice and be content. Have a sober judgment. Don't have blind spots and have people have to come up and tell you, say, look, I don't think you've got quite got that on, the, on your gift. How many of you have seen the talent shows? Australia's got talent or X Factor. You see those judges and you feel like, what a job to be able to have to tell people. You have to be pretty brave, number one, to do that, but you have to be brave to go, well, maybe I'm not cut to be Australia's next idol. Thank God that that's not the pass to get to heaven. Here's the last one. Be content in all circumstances. Sometimes days are good, sometimes they're bad. Sometimes seasons are good, sometimes they're bad. Put your contentment and your peace in Jesus Christ. I don't want this church to have political agendas. I don't want this church to be run by personalities, whether they're stronger than mine or not. I don't want this church to be a performance-orientated church. Just because you can perform doesn't mean that God recognises because he looks a lot deeper. It's called the heart. I want this church to be led by the Spirit of God. I want this church to have a servant heart attitude. I want this church to be secure, not because you get acclamation from me or attention from me or anybody in the teams, but because your attention comes from Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet? Would you lift your hands towards heaven today just for a moment? Will you be honest with yourself just for a moment? Can you just for a moment be honest with yourself? Some of us, all of us, we've struggled. We've got struggles in our life. It's only God that can fulfill and bring that peace and bring that assurance. And and today, if in your heart you're going, you know what, Pastor, today, that's a burden. I've just carried a burden today. I want to be free from that. Today, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, help you. He will help you. He will guide you. He will teach you. He will begin to address those issues with great love and with great passion. And Holy Spirit, we come as a church today. We want this place to be a safe haven. We want this place to be a place that our security is based on the foundation of what you have accomplished on the cross. We want this church to be a haven, a place that our security comes because of your love. Father, we give you praise today. Come on, just thank him today and say, God, I thank you. God wants to deal with those deep things in your heart. He wants to give you peace. He wants to release you from the, from the striving and the struggling and those things that, 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 you've, that, that have entrapped you and encaged you. Father, today in Jesus' name, let your peace come into this house. Let this be a house that when people come in, they'll just feel so loved. Doesn't matter what sort of past they've had. Doesn't matter what sort of background they have. It doesn't matter what they're battling through. That Lord, there won't be competition, but there'll be Lord, there'll be we'll be complete and and Father, that we will complement one another. Father, this is the sort of church that we want to have. Is that the sort of church you want to have? Is it the sort of church we want to have in this place? And Father, today we just thank you for your Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Why don't you give God a big hand of praise? And next week, 
We're going to take up our uh, missions offering. Thank you so much for listening today. We're not going to sing a song. I want you to turn to someone and say, you know what? You look a lot better now than you did when you walked in. And give, give somebody a coffee. There's a cafe out there. I'd love to meet you. If this is your first time here, love to say hi to you. Have a great, great day. God bless you.